you want to talk about the treatment of women and homosexuals and free thinkers and, and public intellectuals in the Muslim world, uh, I would argue that li liberals have failed us. We have been sold this meme of Islamophobia where every criticism of the doctrine of Islam gets conflated with bigotry toward Muslims as people. Right. And that is uh, it's, it's intellectually ridiculous. Even it gets so hold on, are racism. you the person who understands the officially codified doctrine of Islam? You're the uh, interpreter well, of that, well, so you well, can say, well, I, this I'm, is, I'm, I think I'm any... I'm actually well-educated on this topic. I'm, I'm asking you, so I mean, you're you, saying, if I criticize the, you're saying that Islamophobia is not a real thing. That if you're critical of something... It, well, it's not a real thing when we do it. Right. <laughs> well, well, no, it no, really no, isn't. I, I'm not denying that, that certain people are bigoted against Muslims as people, that's, right. and that's a that's problem. big of you. But the... But why yeah, are you we so have hostile to, about this? It's, it's gross. It's racist. It's, it's not. It's but it's so not. It's so. It's like saying it's those so not your shifty Jew. You're not listening Absolutely to not. what well, we are saying. You guys what you just watched was a seminal moment in the career of Bill Maher. It was in this moment that Bill Maher began to stand still, while the party that he once forcibly endorsed moved further and further away from him. Today, the once adamant atheist receives praise from people like me because he is calling out foolishness as it lurks around every corner in our society. But it is interesting that the subject of Islam became such a polarizing issue for Maher. Praise for Islam on the left is quite weird when you think about it. Liberals like Bill Maher are stereotypically secular and largely atheist. It's not hard to believe that Bill Maher was fighting against Islam. The real question is, why was Ben Affleck defending them? Why are you so hostile to, about this it's, it's gross. It's racist. True, Bill Maher has never met a single religion that he actually likes, and he can be bigoted toward all people of faith, but he's actually totally right on this account. In all of the free Palestine protests we're seeing all around America, there's one dirty little secret that nobody wants to admit, and it is that Islam is a militant religion. This does not mean that all Muslims are militant. In fact, the vast majority of them aren't. It simply means that the religion itself teaches a form of militancy that literally demands that its followers perform jihad. Surah 9, verse 33, Surah 61, verse 9, and Surah 28, verse 28, Surah 2, verse 193, and Surah 42, verse 13. These verses talk about the dominancy of Islam and Muslims all over other religions. Surah 5, verse 5, 29 and 123, talk about Islamic Jihad and the right to kill and clear polytheists and also subjugate Jews and Christians. Surah 98, verse 6, declares kafirs or infidels as the worst creatures of God. Surah 3, verse 19 and 85, declare Islam as the only acceptable religion to God. Surah 5, verse 51, states that the Jews and Christians cannot be made friends. Surah 9, verse 111, the most powerful that God has promised is paradise only to those who fight in his way. Now, sure, Ben Affleck may not know that, but it's not hard to find. So why is Ben Affleck blindly endorsing them? Why does Marr come off as the bigot to his audience because he's stating the obvious and he does know that? There's something simple going on that neither Bill nor Ben can see actually. Progressives hate the West. They view it as neo-colonial and want it destroyed. They want the, the West destroyed principally because it is founding on the teachings of Christian scripture and ethics. In the past, the progressives were fine supporting voices like Marr and other militant atheists when they were helping them achieve their goal. But point to any prominent atheist right now in the culture and you'll find very few. Richard Dawkins was eloquent and he was loud, but mostly ineffective. Now the same left that cheered Marr on in the past has moved on. And they need stronger tools now than 
the atheist of old was able to provide. They have no love for religion, don't get it wrong, but they will support blunt instruments like militant Islam if it can help them in their goal to see the West destroyed. Now, Bill is a bigot. He's shamed for getting in the way of their demonic agenda. Bill doesn't see this because he's blinded by religious hate, but he's an honest enough guy. Ben is no lover of Islam, but the radical left has always used useful idiots. He's not educated enough to see this. He's blinded simply by emotion. So both of them are blind, but make no mistake. Both are tools of the progressive left and their goal of death to the West. And the biggest prize of all is the death of Christianity. The moderate tool of militant atheism or the blunt instrument of militant Islam all have the same goal. Remember when Iranian lawmakers shouted death to America in 2020? That was when the progressive left found their absolute favorite besties. That was when the progressive left heard their favorite worship song. It doesn't take much to see this. Just look up any Marxist and you'll find that they thought religion was the sigh of the oppressed or the opiate of the masses. Bunch of haters. Look at Stalin and Mao and how they exterminated every single vestige of Christianity in their land in their cultural revolutions. How about Karl Marx saying the quiet part out loud? To destroy Christianity, we must first destroy the British Empire. Whoops, looks like that stupid bearded clown let the cat out of the bag. He's just really after about destroying Christianity. All Marxists have the same gripe. We need people for our revolution, and as long as they're devoted to someone bigger than us, we can't accomplish our end game. And that's the point. The religious murderers of the past have given way to people who are happy to use Islam in the present because they are ideologues who only care about the end goal, destroy the West, and more importantly, destroy the foundation of Western civilization, the Bible and the God of the Bible. There's maybe one last thing. When Bill was hating on Christians, he didn't care about what was true and what Christians actually believed. He just cared about his blind agenda. Isn't that exactly what Affleck is doing here? He doesn't care about the truth of what Islam really is. He cares about what feels good and it makes him feel good and virtuous to support Islam. This is how people fail to see what's right in front of their face. Bill Maher fed the proverbial alligator in the past with his atheism, and when he pulled his hand back, he had a stump. In the future, I think he and we should see what happens when we actually get a Bible in our hand. I promise, it doesn't bite. And we'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. It's the holiday season, and it's a great time to purchase gifts, maybe for yourself or for somebody else. But you don't want to go to that silly old Target. You might slip into the nutcracker section and get a trans nutcracker in a place where you'll never be able to recover. And you don't want the chemicals that are in all of their health and beauty products. You want stuff that is all natural and woke-free. And you can get that all at our Herbal Alchemy store. So again, all you have to do is go to the description of this podcast or the link that's on the screen now. And you can go search all the products that we have on sale for a limited time uh, that will help you not only get woke-free products, but also all natural products that are great for for you and for your family. And beyond that, all of the proceeds that go to that 
purchase of Herbal Alchemy products go to a great Christian company and some of the proceeds will come back to us here at Indie Thinker to support the great work that we do here. So if you're looking for the perfect Christmas gift, I highly encourage you to check out our Herbal Alchemy store. A society with no respect and no honor is destined for the garbage bin. I shared how at the Thanksgiving table at my house, there was some issues that I had with a family member that refused to sit at the table that I asked them to sit at so that we could make room for uh, people who were older, just because I believe that that sign of respect is something that doesn't need to be lost in our society today. And when we lose it, we lose a whole bunch of other things. Uh, suffice to say, um, when we start to lose that respect, we, we're going to lose um, kindness, we're going to lose compassion, we're going to lose morality, we're going to lose concern for, for the other. And I don't know, if you don't like getting cut off in uh, grocery store lines, then maybe you should also respect other people in the way maybe the Bible tells us to respect other people. Suffice to say, if we do not find that respect and we do not be considerate of neighbors, even strangers, then what we may find is that we're building up resentment and animosity towards others on a regular basis and we are all at each other's throats. Could it be that we are a society without honor because we don't really understand honor anymore because we've removed you know, one of the the primary sources of what it looks like to really honor elders and, all, and respect and honor others. Maybe we've gotten rid of that and therefore put nothing in its place. Suffice to say, that could be why hate is such a prominent facet of society here uh, in our present. And I want to show you a clip where Jim Brewer, comedian, former SNL cast member, and now very outspoken conservative comedian, uh, does a great bit that I, that I only hope is not too late because I think sometimes the the idiocracy nature of our culture sometimes misses the things that are right in front of our face, um, and sometimes people are so blinded by hate that they can't see the the point that Jim is trying to make here. But suffice to say, if it's not too late, some of you will not only find this funny, but you'll find it actually pretty thought provoking. So here's Jim Brewer on Trump derangement syndrome. You have to admit, even if you're like, I don't care as long as it's not you know who. <laughs> that was like a demonic, like the devil came out and just whoever, like, we're gonna make people hate Donald Trump. Hate! Get him! I hate Donald Trump! He's a racist! He's a Now, maybe you saw this at your Thanksgiving table as well. It is interesting to me that especially older white women who lean to the left uh, can sometimes be incredibly sweet. But maybe your grandma's like this and all of a sudden you bring up Donald Trump and there's just something that stirs up inside of them. A hatred that is so dark that... You, you would be hard-pressed to find some other subject where that person can muster up that kind of hatred and that kind of vitriol. In fact, I would argue that the kind of hatred and vitriol that most people have for Donald Trump is something that you should probably be ashamed of to have for any other human being. I mean, I know you've heard the mainstream media call him Hitler for ages and generations, but to date, he has not actually killed any Jews. He has not actually put together any gas chambers. So perhaps the hate that you have for Donald Trump should be reserved for the devil and his angels and not necessarily this man. And perhaps it is a clear sign of programming in the matrix that has caused us 
to hate in this way so blindly. Now, I just simply want to just say this, that I understand there are people who uh, diss Joe Biden and who deeply hate Joe Biden. But I'm going to argue that I don't believe that there is moral equivalency here on right and left. Sure, there are people who uh, endlessly mock Joe Biden as a pedophile, and they actually think that he truly is a pedophile. Um, and they don't necessarily have the evidence other than oddly sniffing young people's hair on a regular basis to claim such a thing. And it's kind of a hateful thing to claim somebody's a pedophile without actually having the evidence to do so. Uh, needless to say, you can argue, right, that, uh, that there's moral equivalency here, but it just seems clear to me that the kind of hatred that people possess for Donald Trump on the left, there is no moral equivalency on the right for that. Uh, sure, people may hate Joe Biden, but it is not to the same level as the way people hate Donald Trump. Now, there's some people who are just like, I don't care, it's an American president, hate them regardless. And all the more, uh, like, how do you say, I want to do the devil's work without doing the devil's work? The kind of blind hatred, anybody who's the president deserves to be hated. Um, okay, the kind of blind hatred that's on full display, even in free Palestine protests against Jews. And may maybe you could even argue the opposite. Regardless, um, not only do I not believe there's moral equivalency, but, but just hate in general is more common, it seems, right now than it was in recent memory. And so here's what I have to say about that. And I believe that this is where Christians can be of great value. It's not that we always get this right, but we have um, some tenets, some moral beliefs, some value systems that allow us to enter into heated conversations. And again, not that we always get it right, but enter into heated conversations with people who are diametrically opposed to us. And, and then to do so aggressively and to do so forcefully, but to do so also while desiring the best for the other person. See, this is what Thomas Aquinas called real love. And we don't really see it enough because Christianity has been removed from, uh, from the West by and large as we live in a post-Christian society today. But Thomas Aquinas believed that Love is willing the good of the other, desiring what is best for the other. Now, that doesn't always feel good, but it always is good. And this is where Christians can help in a society that is so filled and blinded by hate. So I want to encourage you, whether Christian or not, always be thoughtful. Always argue thoughtfully. See, arguing has a bad connotation. Yes, you are supposed to argue. And by argue, I don't mean yell at people. Please, get a dictionary. What I mean is is thoughtfully hash out your ideas with others. Pull and, and attack those ideas for the purposes of greater understanding. Argue thoughtfully always. Critique and criticize often. Mock even when necessary, but hate rarely. Just recently I saw this video of what I think is very, very sad. Um, of a, of a young man who is trying to become a woman and had voice surgery. Um, and in a society of hate, I think it might be easy to hate this person for what they stand for and what they did. But I, the only emotion that I could muster for this person is, is pity. So I, I want you to see it. So here's a man who's going to give us before and after with his, um, <laughs> I, I don't know what it's actually called, but we'll call it voice reassignment, where he was having surgery on his throat to try to change his voice to sound more like a woman. So check it out. Okay, it has now been 15 months since my first voice feminization surgery. Spent $20,000, had three different procedures. This is probably about as good as it's going to get. 
So let's do a little before and after, but we are not going to do the Tired Rainbow Passage. Instead, we are going to do lyrics from a late 80s UK band called Pop Will Eat Itself. Here goes, before and after. One, two, check, high-tech in stereo. Quad row, any way you go but loose. One, oh, oh, one uses. We got the juice, the bruise, the fuses. The volume in this room is much too groomed. We need a big bad boom. Noise KO, disco inferno. Because what you just saw is so sad, I don't think it's right to mock this guy or even to hate him for what he did or to hate him for posting this on social media where he's encouraging other people to do it. That certainly is a hateful thing. I think what we need to respond to this guy with is, is the kind of compassion that the world really needs right now is we need to pray for this guy and we need to use him as an example of why what we're doing in society today is so incredibly irrational and so, and so empty and devoid of real meaning and purpose. It's so self-defeating. But again, so is hate. Listen, I understand the kind of vitriol and, and emotions that watching a guy like this can conjure up. Um, and I am not saying that we shouldn't call it out and that we shouldn't call it for what it is, a soulless attempt to try to find value in sexual identity that should come from spiritual pursuits. But what I am saying is, is that we need to approach this from a perspective of love and compassion for this guy. Because when we inject hate into the conversation, all that we're doing is making our world more, more hateful. In other words, we need to argue, but we don't need to argue like the left argues. Their hate is on full display and it is mockable and laughable and ridiculous. Furthermore, I would just say this, and then again, this mostly comes to Christians, but this is to all of us. Maybe we hate because hate is easier than thoughtfulness. Hate is easier than honor. Resentment is easier than honor because it requires forethought, maybe requires prayer, maybe requires really studying and thinking deeply, whereas you can just hate something quickly. The Bible tells us we are to hate, but we're to hate the right things. Hate what is evil and cling to that which is good. What that young man did to his voice is deeply evil, but that young man himself may not necessarily be. So what I want to cling to is the humanity that's still left in that young man that wants to find some meaning and some attention, that, that wants to know that his life matters. But I want to tell him that the hateful way in which he's going about it will never truly produce the real love and meaning that he's looking for here on this earth. See, I think we have to become outspoken about these things and do it in the right way as much as we possibly can if we're ever truly going to win back the culture. Now, I know I'm speaking a lot specifically to Christians, but obviously, I think the conversation is pretty much lost on the left side of the aisle. That there is, there is, I think, little reason to try to convince people who hate Donald Trump to actually find a way to respect some of the things that he did. In fact, in the final part of the show, we're going to talk about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And Donald Trump carries a lot of the credit for the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the implications of, of what that means. But, but I find that there's some people who even call themselves Christians who are kind of socially liberal, if there is such a thing, that they find it all too easy to hate a man that they've never met. I guess what I'm trying to say is that hate is ubiquitous in our culture today. But there is something that is more powerful than hate. And yeah, it is love. 
but but it's something something even more powerful than that the truth in love see if christians can master this if we can truly become the best truth tellers in love we can potentially still save our culture before it's too late now i, I want to kind of couch this within our next story which also shows something that's very troubling, what's going on in Ireland right now. Maybe you've seen that as a result of an illegal immigrant, a Muslim illegal immigrant from, uh, is it Albania? Yeah, I, I think he's Albanian. And, and the reason that's even so hard to find is because right now, what you're hearing about more than this Albanian immigrant who, uh, who wickedly attacked uh, small children and an adult with a knife, which, what you're finding is the response, the, the, the quote, far-right response from Dubliners in Ireland to this immigrant attacking these, these people. Um, and you're finding it very hard to know the nationality of this person who was attacking uh, these people because they, they don't include that, oddly enough, in many of the news reports. But I do want to read a report about kind of what took place and how Dubliners responded to it, because I think there's something that we can learn about the way in which our secular society is is kind of addressing what's going on in the world today. So needless to say, uh, violent clashes broke out between police and far-right protesters in the central part of Dublin, Ireland, on Thursday after a knife attack in the capital city earlier in the day left three children and two adults injured. Irish police said they arrested 34 people after the riot, speaking during a press conference Friday. Garda Commissioner Drew Harris said police could, quote, not have anticipated, end quote, that such stabbings would have ever triggered such disorder. Harris told journalists that a five-year-old child remains in a very serious condition and a female teacher is in serious condition. These are scenes that we have not seen in decades. But what is clear is that people have been radicalized through social media, he said on Thursday. Harris described the rioters as a complete lunatic hooligan faction driven by far-right ideology. Video on social media earlier Thursday appeared to show a group of men clashing violently with officers in Dublin and setting a police car on fire. A man could also be seen in the footage holding a sign reading Irish Lives Matter. Some protesters can be heard on video chanting anti-immigrant slogans, including get them out. Now, while I want to tell you without equivocation that what these protesters did by burning these police cars and all of that uh, seems absolutely uncalled for uh, and they can protest without rioting, without looting, without destroying public property. However, I will also notice that the Irish Lives Matter part of the, the end of that, uh, that article is kind of interesting because it's interesting that these protests of Dubliners who are mostly white, burning things is not fiery but mostly peaceful protests, right? These are hooligans and they're far-right extremists and they're, and they're a far-right lunatic. And nowhere in this do we get the nationality of the man that killed those kids and the fact that it may have something to do with uh, religious ideology or, or anything like that. But suffice to say, our hearts and prayers go out to these kids that were injured and the adults that were injured by, by being stabbed by this man and one of the small children stabbed in the head. So there's a couple of things to say about this that, that I think bears pointing out. And the first thing is this, no gun. I mean, it's almost as if people who are looking to do evil things don't need a gun, that they'll just take a knife and they can stab multiple people and leave them in critical condition. It's almost as if, you know, people who are trying to eliminate gun usage 
don't really have a valid argument that people will find a way to commit violent acts, heinous violent acts, if they're looking to do so. So uh, let's put that argument to one side and let's just get to the real argument here, which is that the party that talks about human flourishing, the humanist, the secular person who wants to remove Christianity from the public square and wants to call out all Christian nationalists as a bunch of of, uh, lunatics, those people are the ones who consistently endorse policies that do not provide for any kind of human flourishing. And this is what I mean by that. Not only severe gun laws, which they have in Ireland, but also open border policies. Both of those things are, in effect, policies that lead to the lack of human flourishing as we're seeing in this situation. But let's be real about the idea of human flourishing. It is an idea when used by the left, when used by atheists, when used by humanists, that literally means nothing. Let me give you an example of this. If you actually believed in human flourishing, wouldn't you endorse traditional marriage? Wouldn't you endorse marriage between a man and a woman rather than between a man and a man? Because there couldn't be any union that is less human flourishing than that. Would you really endorse transgenderism if you actually believed in human flourishing? Isn't it a genocidal policy to encourage unions that do not reproduce and then to sterilize children? So the reality is, is that if you really believe in human flourishing, you might take a page out of the playbook of the Bible, but they would never do that. Instead, they want to continue to endorse pseudo-compassionate policies that don't actually lead to compassionate ends. They say that they care about people, so they want to limit guns. They say that they care about people, so they want to open borders. Well, it doesn't seem that you really care about people. It doesn't seem that you're really interested in making sure that the people who come to your country are interested in your country's laws. That's certainly happening in America and seems to be happening in Ireland. And this is really the the reason these people are responding the way that they are. Now, again, I don't encourage and disagree wholeheartedly with some of the ways that some of these guys were responding. You shouldn't be fighting the police and you shouldn't be burning their police cars. There's better ways to go about this. But the reality is, is that the policies that are supposedly humanitarian in nature are obviously by their implication and by their, and by their outcome not good for people. But this is the kind of pseudo-compassion we get when we throw out real, authentic, biblical compassion. Here's the point at the end of the day. I'm not sure that these people really are concerned with compassion. I think they're more concerned with destroying borders because when you destroy a country's borders, you can destroy that country and they're actually interested in revolution, many of them. That's why they want open borders. But for those who believe truly from their bleeding heart that an open border is a good policy as they have endorsed endorsed in much of Europe and certainly in England and in Ireland. For those who genuinely believe that that's true compassion, I hope we can see here in this instance and all the other instances where illegal immigration and allowing people to enter your country without truly assimilating them into the country and into the country's values is actually a recipe for great harm. Real compassion is not strict gun laws and open borders. That's a recipe for disaster. Real compassion is basing your society on a set of principles that can actually hold that society together and potentially reproduce that society. Until the left is willing to be honest about the ways in which they don't do that, I cannot take them seriously in terms of their claims to compassion. And all I can do is call it pseudo-compassion and hope that they'll understand where real compassion comes from. And we'll talk about where it comes from in our final segment, Bible Study 
with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. Today is a day of rejoicing. According to Fox News, 32,000 babies have been saved from abortion as a result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, there's some cynics online who are quick to jump into the fray and suggest, well, how do you know that these babies have been saved? Uh, where do you get this information from? And yes, it is true that you can't necessarily uh, chart whether or not Roe v. Wade and its overturning is responsible for these uh, for these babies being born per se. But what we can say is that the birth rate has increased exponentially since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And conservatives like myself can't help but do a little bit of math. And it's not too difficult to get that algebra going and realize that when you overturn a codified law that creates a federal uh, mandate for people to be able to have abortions, and you get rid of that, that perhaps that, that murderous policy being done away with might actually produce more life, and in this case, more births. So it doesn't seem too much of a stretch to suggest that the increase in birth rate is a direct result for, um, uh, as a result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And that's caused a lot of people to get really angry online and make morally benighted arguments like this. Well, we better see a commensurate adoption and foster rate to go along with that birth rate, as though it were not an intrinsic good to save the life of a baby in and of itself without seeing any of those other statistics because protecting human life is worth it in and of itself. But it's also ridiculous because pregnancy resource centers around the nation are way less funded than Planned Parenthood by your tax dollars and do way more for babies and parents and actually do plan parenthood um, than Planned Parenthood does. So needless to say, Christians have been on the front lines of protecting life, and today is a day of rejoicing because life has been protected. And now much to the chagrin of other haters online, part of that credit goes to Donald Trump, who helped get Supreme Court justices in place that would overturn Roe v. Wade. Now I know, there's other things that go into this, but it is undeniable that Donald Trump does play a part and is responsible in part for this day of rejoicing. Now, this specifically is difficult to admit for the progressive Christian community and their other lackeys like those over at the Holy Post. If you don't know who the Holy Post is, it is a group of washed up Christians, Phil Vischer in particular, who is from VeggieTales fame, who produced a video back when Donald Trump uh, was getting elected to be president his first term, um, they produced a video suggesting that you Christians um, shouldn't be single-issue voters and you shouldn't just vote for Donald Trump and forget all of his other uh, morally egregious behaviors just simply because he may overturn Roe v. Wade. And the argument went something like, Roe v. Wade being overturned really won't save that many lives. Now, I want to refresh your memory of this video because I think it's very important for us to analyze here today. So here is that. For almost 50 years, Christians have been told that who you support for president will either save or sacrifice the lives of unborn babies. This has led a lot of pro-life Christians to become single-issue voters, willing to overlook everything else about a candidate as long as they're against abortion. When a candidate's bad character or unchristian policies are brought up, the response is often, yeah, but abortion. The argument looks something like this. My vote determines the president. The president nominates justices to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court can overturn Roe v. Wade, and overturning Roe will make abortion illegal and save babies. 
Let's unpack what's wrong with this argument and why your vote for president might not impact abortion the way you think. We've learned that despite 11 conservative Republican-appointed justices on the Supreme Court, for the last 50 years, the court has only upheld rather than reversed abortion rights, and that's unlikely to change. And even if the court did overturn Roe, it would have very little impact because abortion was widely available before Roe and it would be after. Now, if you're a pro-life Christian and you know that Phil Vischer and his buddies are pro-life, you went away from this video scratching your head wondering, how in the world, in a world where logic exists, does this video make sense? How are you actually piecing together the, the idea that you should be fighting for the removal of Donald Trump and um, fighting for Hillary Clinton, the person who is basically like, can we murder them when they're 15? I mean, who says we can't murder people just whenever we like it? I mean, they are the Clintons after all. Obviously, the implication is, is don't vote for Donald Trump, vote for somebody else. Well, the only other candidate really was Hillary Clinton. And no Christian in the right mind who considers themselves pro-life, as these guys do, could actually do that with a good conscience. And let's also not neglect the fact that they were totally wrong in everything that they said. Look, I know if you were a progressive Christian, you walked away from that video super happy that we get to continue killing babies and we don't get to vote for that evil Donald Trump. Now, I know you shouldn't hate somebody like you hate Donald Trump and consider yourself a good Christian, but Phil Vischer and his lackeys do it. Nonetheless, if you're a Christian conservative who actually believes what the Bible says, you walk away from that video and you wonder, how can these guys really consider themselves pro-life and, and argue like this? So let's just dig into the argument for, for just a moment. First off, they make the claim that single-issue voters are kind of missing the boat. And, you know, you shouldn't overlook Donald Trump's uh, mores and, and moral issues just because of this single issue. Well, I'm happy to announce to you that there is a single issue that demands your attention, and it's the issue of life. And if you're serious about this issue, you can save lives. And secondly, not only by promoting this single issue, but by promoting presidents who actively want to overturn bad case law like Roe v. Wade, which, by the way, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg also said it is, said it is total fallacious Supreme Court law. Um, if by endorsing those kind of candidates, you actually are doing something because Donald Trump put Supreme Court justices in place that overturned Roe v. Wade. And as a result of it, tens of thousands of lives have been saved. So thankfully, Donald Trump was placed in office, un, uh, much to the chagrin of these, these guys over at the Holy Post. Third, and maybe finally, this goes back to the whole idea that Republicans can't win if they endorse this issue. Aren't there other issues? Can't we win on other issues? Why do we have to keep on, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot? Because largely people want some form of, a, of abortion because of rape and incest and all of that kind of stuff. Without going into the total nonsense argument of, of rape and, and, and incest and how those things don't really work in a moral world. Let me just say this. Being pro-life is a winner. And it was a winner for these kids. We don't win when we retreat and we don't actually fight for life. But the more we fight for life and the more we expose the left and their horrible arguments as it, as it surrounds the issue of abortion, the more we actually actively stand up against those things and fight, the better off our world will be and the better babies will be protected. We can win if we fight effectively. So 
A while back, people considered gay marriage a losing issue and that Christians, you know, they couldn't overcome that bigot tag that would be placed upon them. And so, slowly but surely, we saw marriage changed in our nation. Now, in our time, also something else has happened. Transgenderism and transgender surgeries for minors has been an issue of contention. And of course, the same tactics the left used for gay marriage they were using for this issue. Well, people are going to kill themselves if you don't let them cut their testicles off. And um, obviously, you're a bigot if you don't believe that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. Do you, I mean, do you really think that men can't menstruate? Uh, only a bigot believes those kind of things. And so what we did this time was different, though. Many conservatives withstood that and said, this is ridiculous. And no, it's not true. And all around America, conservatives stood up and started fighting for the issues. And it emboldened political candidates and uh, people in political office because they saw that their constituents were actually willing to produce a backbone on an issue. And as a result of it, in many states in America today, now you cannot castrate a small child simply because they wore a dress one time when they were four. Um, you, you cannot uh, transition socially a, a young girl with puberty blockers and, um, and cross-sex hormones simply because she likes to play baseball. Suffice to say, kids are being protected in many places all around America today because conservatives took a stand. And the same thing is true of the life issue. It's a winner if Christians and conservatives get a backbone, if we'll actually fight for this issue. If we take the cowardly position of the Holy Post and essentially do yeoman's work for Hillary Clinton in her campaign, we will absolutely see the same thing we've always seen. Our political actors doing nothing to change society and not doing what is in the best interest of small children who can't defend themselves. Now, I hope all of that proves that the Holy Post was 100% wrong in everything they said in that video. But look, I'm not going to hold my breath looking for a full retraction from these guys because I think that that might be the death of me. And after all, I want to be consistently pro-life. But what we can do is we can resist foolish arguments from progressive Christians who want to take foolish positions, and we can stay firm on what we know to be true. And if we do, lives will be changed and saved. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.